This is Tom Young at TomYoung.net, and this is a podcast I recorded with Admiral Robert Phillips about how he bought his Ferrari Mondial race car back in the late 1950s. He was restoring it to bring it to Pebble Beach in 2008, and I caught up with him and his son, Brian, knee-deep in restoration four months before Monterey. What, what it goes back to is that when I had this MGA, the, the idea of driving a sports car was kind of new in the U.S. And the driving down the street, um, if you saw another sports car, you waved and they waved back. Right. If you were in the right class, if you were driving an MG or a Triumph, you waved to everybody. You waved to Jaguar drivers and they wouldn't wave back. <laughs> and, uh, they might look and then go ahead. Uh, if you ever saw a Ferrari out there and you waved, but you didn't expect any response from them, or a Maserati, or any of those, those fancier cars. So I had this MGA. And this is 1950. I bought it in 58. I ended up going to sea, had sea duty. I got to, uh, got to Oakland in 1959, fall. And was a bachelor living in an apartment complex and we had these these parties every Saturday night. A big swimming pool down the middle, the dance hut and all this kind of thing. Everybody in there was single except the manager. <laughs> and one night the, the discussion was about this police chase that had happened on the East Bay the night before. Some red sports car had gotten up, started being chased by the California High Patrol up near Vallejo came all the way down the Nimitz Highway, all the way down through Richmond and Berkeley and Oakland and San Leandro wow. and heading south, and got away. And speculation, oh, what was he driving? Well, he was probably driving a Maserati Ferrari. And so <coughs> somebody said something about, well, Susie was talking about a Ferrari for sale. Oh, really? So Susie wasn't there, went up and knocked on her door. Her boyfriend had heard about this Ferrari in some Rambler dealership up in Richmond. Richmond is a oil refinery city, uh, kind of a... <laughs> Industrial can, uh, yeah, kind, kind of, of place. Yeah. But now, before that, your interest in Ferrari, besides just knowing Ferrari and knowing that it's a pretty quick car, any any other... If anybody said to you, you know, one day, one of these days I'm going to own a Ferrari, yeah. I will, you no, just no, never had no, inkling no, that that was happening. That, that was... Yeah. It was that just was, another another sports car for sale. That was an untouchable kind sure. of thing. Sure. Okay. And the idea of going and seeing this car yeah. was what I was wanting to do. Yeah, what the heck, let's go yeah. kick some tires. And uh, because, you know, Ferraris were, were unattainable. That was on a, on a lieutenant's salary. That was, you know, you, you couldn't, you know, we were drawing $312 or something like that a month. Mm -hmm. And Ferraris, new ones were selling at twelve grand in Louisiana. Yeah. And you saw those people that drive Ferraris, you know what they got to do on their That's right, that's right. <laughs> they were the real bullshit yeah. crowd. <laughs> that's right. So we ended up getting that car. But the question we started off with was mechanical. The only mechanical work I had done was on the MG. I had installed a Judson supercharger. Oh, wow. So I had had the carburetors off, and I had put the, the supercharger on. I had the shop manual from MG, which says if you want to change the spark plug, first thing you do is you get out of the car and you open the bonnet and you get a spanner. And, you know, it tells you step one, step two, step three. Is this is how you change a spark plug? And when you put a supercharger on, 
And the good judge and people from Conshohocken gave you a manual. I said, okay, you take the other carburetors off and you put this on, you put these bolts on, you put the fish carburetor on, and, or a holly, whichever it was. And uh, so that was my mechanical exposure. My buy, I find this, this, this Rambler dealer up in Richmond, and I drive up there my next day, next day off, and I go in and ask in the showroom, you know, do you have a Ferrari here? He says, the guy looks at me and says, no, we have Ferraris here. It's a Rambler dealer. <laughs> he says, but uh, I, I said, someone told me there was one here. He said, well, go out and talk to the guys in the shop. So I went in the shop and said, nah, there might have been one here. Try back in the back corner over there. So I go over in this back corner of this big, big shop where lots of stuff is going on. And here is this sports car of some sort sitting up on jack stands, this wooden crate with mangled blue twisted pieces of metal in it and all this, these pieces all apart and there's no seats in it, the hood is stuck in the, in the passenger compartment and up front is this, this muddy mess that looks like some kind of V8. And the side of the car, people have worn, you know, there are spray patterns from tests for people making fender repairs. It was, it, this was a piece of junk. This was, you know, worse than graffiti kind of stuff. <laughs> and the mistake of the day was I grabbed a rag and reached over and rubbed across the top of that V8 valve cover and, Ferrari, ah, I've got to save it. <laughs> you know, irrational, totally irrational. Right. Here it is. But under it was archaeological archaeological find, right? Yeah. Okay. End of story. That was it. And he he towed it from the Midwest like, with the bonnet off. In its last race at Road America, he and Hergenrother had a problem at about the 200 mile point with uh -huh. the rear end seizing. So that was that was September of of 1959. As the rear he had just had his area transferred to the West Coast from Ohio. He was, in fact, a traveling toy salesman, a wholesale distributor kind of thing. And he was on the road all the time. He towed the car on an open trailer across country, somewhere 100, 200 miles out of, of uh, Chicago. The uh, hood came off, so he ended up sticking it in the, in the passenger's compartment side and drove the rest of it across country on the roads we had in those days, on an open trailer behind a tow car. So that was some of the reasons this thing was so absolutely covered with filth. Hmm. Because you have, you know, 1,500, 2,000 miles worth of, of dirt and road spray mm -hmm. on top of it. Well, I ended up taking out a loan for two-thirds of a year's salary. I hadn't, the MG wasn't fully paid off. Which at that time, no one took a loan out for any of that kind no, of stuff. No, no, no. Just wasn't heard of. No. And, <laughs> and my, my parents thought I was crazy. Yeah, this is, what, what have you done? Have you lost all sense? And this kind of thing. I wrote a letter to the Ferrari factory. said, ha, ah, I have one of your cars. Uh, please send me the factory manual and I'll send you a check. <laughs> Uh, I could just imagine in Italy, like, hey, look at this letter. What a factory manual. It was a very, very polite, uh, very formal response. It said, uh, we built very few of these cars. It was a racing model. There is no factory manual. There is a, a Ferrari mechanic in Southern California who may be of assistance. 
go see him. Oh, okay. So I hop in the MG and I drive off to Hollywood, Santa Monica, where Hollywood sports cars. And it was one of those days where it was bright and it was sunny and the birds were chirping and the world was great. <laughs> and I pull up in my MG in front of the Ferrari place and I go in and I talk to the people, describe what's going on. And, um, they can repair this transaxle and overhaul the motor. And the bill was about what I had paid for the car. <laughs> and, oh, by the way, they didn't do body work. <laughs> what I forgot to mention was the rear of the body, after the accident at Nassau, had never been repaired properly. There was bondo on there nearly two inches thick, mm -hmm. hanging kind of like a wow. edge of a precipice on the lower back portion. <laughs> so whatever they couldn't hammer out, they just mudded it all yeah, in. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so... Uh, they told me where the place was a couple of miles down the road uh, towards Irving, California, that did aluminum bodywork, and I should go see them. So off I went to see them and described the problem, and they gave me an estimate that was just slightly more than I had just finished. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting, it was the same day, and the drive back north was dark and gloomy yeah. and it, it was, the world had ended. What, birds, what have I done? The birds were now buzzards. <laughs> That's right. Well, my dad Vultures. is really going to kill me now. <laughs> but something happened on that trip. It, you know, here I am, my folks have said, you're dumb for doing this. I've taken this big loan. I have this crump, this piece of junk sitting there that I really don't know what to do about. It. And I said, well, look, it's just a piece of machinery. I ought to be able to figure that out. Mm -hmm. And so I went to the to the base hobby shop, moved some cabinets out from a couple of walls, put the car back in that corner, and over the next nine months I learned auto mechanics. What was the impression of the guys at the base? Because I always imagine a bunch of guys, you know, when you say hobby shop, it's like all the guys that bring in their hot rods and they, yeah. they all kind of tune and, and do all this flathead Ford stuff and all of a sudden you bring in your hobby, and here comes Phillips with his little project, and we unveils yeah. veils it to all the guys. They kind of say, what the heck is this? The hobby shop manager was a guy named Jake. And Jake was from an old California, old Colorado mining family. Very practical kind of guy. And he would just shake his head. It's another one of those fern things. And because we look at this motor, you know, where, where's the cylinder head? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. Ooh. Jake, cylinder head comes down to here. And that's the crankcase. Right. Hmm, that's interesting. I mean, it, it, at first glance, it looks like a small V yeah. motor. Right. You know, but in actuality, it's the V is, is, the, is the valve train. Oh, even more confusing, I've got two, two carburetors. I've got four inlets. How many plugs do I have? Right. Right. Dual plug. Right. <laughs> you know. And it's a four-cylinder engine with all this, and uh, nothing anyone has ever seen. So we ended up, you know, what did you do? How did you get like tolerances or specs or tolerances? Specs? <laughs> Come on, it's crazy talk. Take it apart and figure out what's going on here. No. Okay. I I joke on it, but we uh, the motor itself was uh, basically in in reasonable shape. The I did a valve job on it, and what's kind of funny. On Tom's site, you have some of the story of things that Brian and I had to do to to get the, the valve springs back in. Mm -hmm. uh, in 1960, I don't remember that as being a problem. You know, I was younger, mm -hmm. I was clearly much stronger. 
um, and I'll tell you why more about that later. But uh, we did a valve job on it, went through the uh, the bearings themselves. We used plastic gauge because plastic gauge was around then, and you know the guys running the hot rods out there. Was, bearing clearances is something it was pretty universal forward stuff. Sure. You know? I don't care who makes it. If you're right. running, if you're running more than four thousands, you're in trouble. Right. And we were running more than four thousands, so we f we were the air station. I was where I was stationed shared the Oakland International Airport. This was not the Alameda base. This was the Oakland Airport, and there were some small companies there that did interesting things, like relead bearings. So we took the crank size and we took the bearing shells and we put them in a con rod, the cap tightened down and went over and said, here's what we're seeing for clearances. So they scraped out some of the lead indium from the good old Vanderbilt bearings and put some kind of babbit in mm -hmm. there and put that back together. So that was the only thing that I had to chase really on the, on the motor itself. Um, nothing else in here needed help. You've been listening to a podcast on TomYoung.net. Thanks for listening.